0: This morning we're going to be in James chapter 5, so if you want to open your Bible there, the letter of James, which is near the end of your New Testament. If uh, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible, if you head to the back of the very end of your Bible and go backwards, uh, you'll, you'll come to Revelation, which is the final book. You're not too far from James at that point. Go through the three letters to John, 3rd, 2nd, 1st, then two letters to Peter, 2nd, or of Peter, 2nd Peter, and 1st Peter, and then you've fun, you'll come and find Uh, James, poor Jude, he gets left out. Uh, Jude's in there too. You probably won't see him. That's normal. Uh, James, the letter of James is uh, right after Hebrews and right before 1 Peter. And we'll be in James chapter 5 uh, this morning. Let's pray together and then we'll study the word. Lord, thank you so much for the gift that we have now to have the Bible in our own language to freely gather together without fear of government, affliction, or persecution. To speak openly of our love for you and our affections toward you and our faith in you. To be marked within our culture as those who are Christ's people, the church. And to do all of these things Under your sovereign plan and direction in this great nation, we give you praise. And this weekend, we are particularly reminded of the sacrifices that have been made for us to enjoy what we so frequently take for granted. And yet, Father, in this weekend and this particular cultural awareness that we have as those who live in the United States of America... And who live with gratitude for the country in which we live and your sovereign plan to place us here. We also face the temptation of a cultural thought that we are independent. And even this morning as we study this text from your word and as we consider this sixth commitment of our philosophy of ministry. I pray that you would impress upon us our dependence. That you would rescue us from independence. That you would renew our minds from personal independence. And while we revel in an independent state where freedom reigns, may we revel in the gospel that has brought us into a dependent relationship with you where freedom is found in Christ for us. Use this time for your glory and our good, we ask in the name of Christ and in the power of your spirit. We ask these things. Amen. Having lived much of my adult life and first part of my married life in Los Angeles in Burbank in particular, um, I am mindful of the blessing that it is to live now in a city that is devoid for the most part of traffic. In fact, one of the most humorous parts of my daily routine is getting in my car in the morning, turning my car on with the talk radio station that might be on and hearing the, the every 10-minute traffic report. Um, these are unnecessary because they're mostly the same. Well, looks like things are pretty clear out there today. Everything's pretty safe. Um. Well, there was an accident on some crazy country road, like back somewhere. And if you're coming through there, all three of you, you need to be careful to go avoid that accident. There really is just not the same scene as when we lived in L.A. and assumed that 10 miles would take us 40 minutes. I can remember sitting in traffic. And uh, these are the times when I wasn't sinning, uh, but sitting in traffic and looking around at a sea of cars all of us going somewhere under five miles an hour and realizing that within the sea of humanity, some 14 or 15 million people all in one city. And here are thousands of us crammed into a very small space. And I know nothing of the people that are sitting next to me in the next vehicle. I know nothing of the circumstances of the lives of the people that are crammed around me. Maybe you feel this way at times in a, in a shopping center or a shopping mall where there are crowds of people moving and even touching each other and bumping into one another and moving out of each other's way, and we have zero connection to the people that we're around. When I think of the large crowds and the isolation that we often feel even within a large crowd, I wonder how much we're aware of the people that are sitting next to us this morning. Or even across the room. How much do we know about each other's circumstances? How much do we have an awareness of one another's spiritual condition? Spiritual concerns. Trials. Difficulties. Blessings. Joys. How much are we capable, as scripture talks about, of weeping with each other and laughing with each other? Rejoicing with one another? How possible... Is that for us? And perhaps you're like me and you wonder what is it we could offer to people that we we may have a different circumstance than these others. What could I offer them? What could I give to them? What could I say or do that would be a ministry of encouragement to them? And thankfully, just like every other part of our ten ministry commitments that make up our philosophy of ministry, this sixth commitment comes with clear markings from God's word. We do not have to wonder whether or not we as believers, as Christians gathered together in this church, if in fact we're in Christ, we don't have to wonder how can I be a, a, an influence, an encouragement, a blessing to the people around me? Now, it doesn't mean it's easy to engage with someone and ask them how they're doing or perhaps share with them how you're doing and what it is that is on your heart and in your life. But it does mean that God's word does dictate for us, does outline for us what it means to serve one another through prayer. Psalm 119, 105 is true again this morning as much as it was yesterday. Your word is a lamp to my feet And a light to my path. It's been true of every one of these ministry commitments. Where God clarifies our path as a church. We don't self-identify. We don't self-define our church family. We don't have a self-initiated strategy. We have God's word for us. It's a gift to us. It's the mind of God in our hands. And our desire as a church family. And as shepherds and leaders is to think God's thoughts after him. So this morning, let's consider together the sixth commitment to dependent, expectant prayer. And my brother Jared has served us by putting this on the front of the bulletin. It says this, prayer is the lifeblood of the church. Every aspect of ministry must be saturated with humble surrender and confident intercession. Whether secret or public, whether personal or corporate, prayer Must be the hallmark of the local church. Now, with that statement of fact on our bulletin at least, and on our website, and our stating our commitment to dependent expectant prayer, we're left with the question of why. Why must we be, why are we, if we are, committed to prayer? Why are we committed to dependent, expectant prayer? Why are those two adjectives used to define prayer within our local assembly? Why? What are the the reasons that prayer is such an essential component of our life together as a church family? That's what brings us to James chapter 5. And that's where we'll find our starting place at least for answering the question of why it is that we as God's people individually and we as a body of believers, as an assembly of believers, must be committed to prayer. Talking to God through prayer. Now we're parachuting into James and we're coming actually to the conclusion of James chapter 5 verse 13 down through verse 18. And in doing that, we have the danger of having no idea where we are in this letter. This is actually a letter from a real person named James. He was the half-brother of Jesus, from our best research and understanding. He writes to the church of Jerusalem that has been scattered throughout the known world at the time because of persecution under the Roman Empire. Nero has unleashed his wrath against Christians. They become his favorite scapegoat. And the church is scattered for their lives. And Pastor James, the leader of the church, as we find out in Acts chapter 15 in the Jerusalem Council. James, who has taken the leadership of this first church of Jerusalem, writes this letter to these families, no doubt scattered and gathered in little pockets around the known world. So you can imagine the kind of people who were reading this for the first time. They were people who had lost everything, who had given up everything, and who now had had received a letter from a courier or from some distant relative from the church who had come to see them, who knew where they lived, and they brought the letter of James. Pastor James had written to them. What a blessing this would have been. And that's why I believe this letter comes off when we read it as a whole. And if you're a student of James and you've read this, student of the Bible, and you've read this, you realize that it's in relationship to or comparison to Paul. This is kind of dis, disjointed. There's subject, then subject, then subject, then subject, and not a lot of unity between the subjects. That's because James is writing to his people, and I believe he's writing basically many sermons in this letter. Repeated topics like the tongue, like wisdom, like the sovereignty of God in planning, like fighting and quarreling with each other within the church. All of these things are talked about. And James is dealing with a group of people who are tried, who are tempted, and who are seeking leadership and desperate for the leadership of Of their local church which is no longer gathering together as it once did. So they received this letter. And here is the conclusion of the letter. Here's the last words from James. Beginning in verse number 13. Let's read them together. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? a multitude of sins. This morning we're going to consider this one primary thought together the health of our prayer life is directly connected to our awareness of our position and its power. The health of our prayer life and our prayer life. So both individually and corporately the health of our prayer life is directly connected to our awareness of, one, our position, and two, its power, or God's power through it. The health of our prayer life is directly connected to our awareness of our position and its power. If we knew our position and we knew the power of prayer, we would agree with one of my favorite pastors of a long time ago, Andrew Bonar. Scottish pastor when he said oh brother pray in spite of Satan pray spend hours in prayer rather neglect friends than not pray rather fast and lose breakfast dinner tea and supper and sleep too than not pray and we must not talk about prayer we must pray in right earnest What we find in James chapter 5, verses 13 down through verse 18 are just two simple truths that drive us to prayer. Number one, prayer is positional. Number two, prayer is powerful. Prayer is positional and prayer is powerful. Let's begin with this first prayer inducing truth that drives home. The, the reality that the health of our prayer life is directly connected to our awareness of our position. If, in fact, we're in Christ and prayer is power for us through God's work. Prayer is positional. Verse number 13 reads, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And we have this formula, this this uh, stacking up of phrases from James. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call. And then the elders pray. So we have we have suffering prayer. We have cheerful praise and we have sickness. And in particular, this is a unique sickness because this sickness should be seen in light of calling the elders and having them pray. So while we would assume that positions of prayer or position in prayer has more to do with sore knees and maybe Numb hands because of having hands raised positional prayer. And what I mean by saying prayer is positional. What I believe James drives home about our prayer life is that our prayer life is motivated and driven by the reality of where we stand in position to the one to whom we pray. As in there's something about us as God's people. There's something about us as those who have new hearts. Who have been transformed on the inside. That has established a placement for us. That should initiate prayer. Where you and I stand this morning. In the presence of God. Or under the watch and judgment of God. Where we stand has everything to do with whether or not. We are praying or our awareness of where we stand has everything to do with whether or not we are praying. Notice the standing is secured by these descriptive words from James in verse 13 and 14. Is anyone among you? This is the same among you that we've seen in Paul's writing elsewhere. This is a plural among you. This is the church, the church scattered. This is identifying these people as being in Christ. This is the Jews who were in Jerusalem who had been saved, most of them probably at the day of Pentecost in the following days, as the number grew, among you, among you. Is there anyone among you suffering? Is there anyone among you sick? Is there anyone among you who is in need of prayer? The position of prayer is one of privilege, Of God's people we enter into prayer because our position before God has been altered and this is this is seen elsewhere and I really we could spend all morning talking about the change of position that ignites prayer in our lives and if you're like me and I know you are we struggle to be disciplined in prayer we struggle with even disciplining to pray. Because we sense within ourselves that we ought to long to pray. We ought to want to pray. We ought to be engaged with grace-motivated prayer. That's exactly what I believe James pulls on as he gives these commands to the suffering church that's scattered under persecution. If they are a part of the suffering church, if they are a part of... Of the people of God, no matter their circumstances, no matter their suffering, no matter their situation, prayer ought to be the natural overflow of their position. Let me give you a few passages that speak to this issue. You can jot these down and we'll go backwards from James into our New Testament. Hebrews chapter four and verses fourteen through sixteen. Since then we have a great high priest, we have a position with God. With a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace because a priest has changed our position with God. From enemies, from condemned to forgiven, from enemy to friend, to sons and daughters. Let us draw near. Our position is the basis of our prayer. Philippians chapter 4, probably some of the most familiar verses on prayer. If, you're, if you've been a part of the church, if you've grown up around the truth of Scripture, these verses... Have everything to do with our position. Verse 1 says therefore my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown. Paul says stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. These are the in the Lord ones. Which leads him to say in verse number 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the promise that comes along is that the peace of God, which goes beyond, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because you are in the Lord, because the Lord is in fact your Lord and God is in fact your God. And the position has been secured through the obedience of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. Now pray. You have a position that offers you the privilege of prayer. And our awareness of that position has everything to do with the health and consistency of our prayer life. Moving on to Romans chapter 8, another familiar portion of scripture. We find the great promise in Romans chapter 8 at the very end that all things work together. For good, that is our sanctification for those who are called according to Christ or in Christ. But before we find those words, we find verses 12 through 17. Romans chapter 8 verses 12 through 17 say, So then, brothers, we are debtors. We're indebted not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if, we, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, You will live for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Now, notice the position as a son of God and the effect that it has upon us. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Affectionate words for God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The spirit of adoption is the basis upon which Paul builds this crying for Abba Father. We cry out to God in prayer because we are conscious of our adoption as sons and daughters. We are children of God. The Spirit attests to that. With our spirit and thus we respond in prayer. That leads us then to verse 26 where Paul says likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes with us. Or for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit. Because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We are sons and we are saints. We are children and we have been made righteous before God in Christ. And that position and our consciousness of that position is the very factor that we consider this morning in relationship to our prayer life. Prayer is the privileged breath of dependence from those who have been made right with God. We do not pray to earn God's attention or to try to. Yell at Him long enough for Him to hear us. We pray as those whom He hears. Because our position has been changed. We have a high priest who has made us right. We have a Savior who has made us right. We have a Son who has made us sons. Therefore we pray. Matthew chapter 6. Same Sermon on the Mount that we read from in Matthew 7 a few moments ago in our reading, Matthew chapter 6, where we find what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Probably better understood as the disciples prayer, because the Lord is the one telling other people to pray this way. We find these words before we get to the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Why? Why? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners so that, here's their purpose, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Jesus says the kingdom people are not to live their lives in prayer like hypocrites who do what they do to be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This is not our pattern as kingdom citizens. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Take note that He is your Father if in fact you are coming to Him in Christ. And that position has everything to do with James' call to the scattered church to be praying. Pray. Pray, brothers. Pray, sisters. Because prayer is the privileged access of the saints. It's the privileged place and activity of those who have been made right by another one. Another's righteousness has been placed in our account. Another's blood has covered our sin. Another's resurrection has provided for us life eternal to know the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. John seventeen three. So pray. The health of our prayer life is directly connected to this awareness of our position. James commands prayer because those among you are those who have been set in a new place. Our position makes prayer the natural overflow of our hearts. There's nowhere and no one else to whom we can turn. So we pray. Scott Booker and I were talking about this this week. About our prayer lives and commiserating in our struggle to pray. And we were talking about how much we actively pursue prayer when we're most cognizant of our need. We, we are, there are times in our lives when prayer is so natural. And so simple to us. Because we recognize in those moments that we are completely in need of God working on our behalf. And in our circumstance. It's in those moments that our position becomes a treasure to us. Because we have access to the Father. And we live in that access. We talk in that access. We come boldly in that access. Not because of our own righteousness, but because of another's. And so our awareness of that position and our delight in that position has everything to do with the health, the consistency and the depth of our prayer lives. I talked to you this morning as a struggling, praying Christian. And the awareness of my position and your position before Christ is to be at the front door of my prayer life. Now, because of James's letter and the importance of every word of Scripture, let's at least look at what's here in these verses in James chapter 5. There are three groups of people that are talked about. Just so that you know this, I don't want to leave this passage untouched, though I want to emphasize prayer as the key theme here. He talks to the suffering, he talks to the cheerful, and he talks to the sick. The suffering or suffering on on whatever level, not because of sinfulness in their lives. The sick are sick because of sin. So how can you be so confident of that? Well, because of what the remedy for their sickness is. It's to have the elders come to consecrate them with oil, which was an Old Testament picture, which the Jewish people knew for centuries as a way of marking out a consecrated individual And the response of God to the prayer of faith by the elders is not just the healing of that individual, but the forgiveness of sin, because those sins are directly connected to the sickness. So you have suffering people who are in trial. James 1. If any man is found in a trial of various kinds, let him be found joyful in that trial, knowing that God's doing things in that trial, but he must pray. We'll come back to that passage in just a few minutes. The cheerful are those who are receiving blessing. And many of you come this morning like me, having received and receiving even right now incredible blessings from God. We have great joy in our hearts and we are cheerful about his work in us. We should be praying in song, singing praises toward God, to his great name and for his great grace to us through Christ. And then the sick ones are to call for the elders to come and to pray over them. This is a this is a calling of the elders that marks a humble, repentant heart. These are people who recognize what their situation is and why. And they ask the elders to come and to pray. James commands that that take place. And in verse 15, he promises that in their condition, in their calling for the elders to come to them, Those elders coming to them, anointing them, praying over them. There is great hope in that prayer of faith. Because so little is said of anointing with oil, usually the only thing that is considered in that verse is what is going on with the anointing of oil. But the theme here is the prayer life of the church scattered. Persecuted. Suffering. Coming together in small assemblies where a few families have gathered together for safety. And this is to be the practice. There is to be prayer based upon position that marks them out. You See that? And then finally in verse 16, the first part of verse 16, James says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That one another connects us back to our position. We are one another Because of our position before God. So we don't often pray because we don't often live in the reality of our position to God. Let me give you a few thoughts of implications of why I don't pray. These are words of testimony and I I am confident that they can be a blessing to you. As you consider the health of your prayer life and our prayer life as an assembly. Number one, we consider ourselves to be God. We have no need to pray if we are, in fact, the source of answer to our question. If we are the remedy to our problem, we have no need to pray. We have only need to strategize. We have only need to worry and be anxious and to think through and to rethink through and to think through from a different angle and to think about it again and again and again and again. Never turning to prayer. Why? Because we are living... As if we are the remedy to the problem and we are the source for the answer to the question. So perhaps this morning you like me do not often live in the reality of your position. Which leaves you believing a lie that you can accomplish what needs to be done. Paul was always fighting this and constantly looking at his circumstances and the suffering of his life as the disciplining loving hand of God. Reminding him that his sufficiency was not in himself. Everything he had had been given to him by God for God. And so he must live in dependence. The weaker we become, the more ripe we are for prayer in our position. Number two, we may consider ourselves to serve another master. So perhaps we don't pray because we actually live serving another master. Romans chapter 6 would say that we are capable, as God's people, of of pressing our ear up against the wall and listening to commands from the old master, of considering ourselves or selling ourselves back into bondage to sin. So perhaps your prayer life, like mine at times, suffers because we are serving another master. We are serving ourselves, our own ends. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I remember as a young person, one, two two distinct things I remember about passages about prayer and about heaven. One, I always thought that in heaven I would have a four wheeler because heaven would be all about me getting what I want. And at the time, for some reason, I distinctly remember. Wanting a four-wheeler because my buddy Justin had a four-wheeler. And so I figured heaven would be a four-wheel heaven. It would be an off-roading experience for all because that's what I wanted it to be, because heaven was all about what I wanted. I also remember these passages on prayer. And I don't remember James 4 ever coming up. But I do remember all the passages that promised me that God would give me what I asked if I asked in Christ's name. And I remember thinking that that was very similar to something of a genie in a bottle. And I didn't have three wishes. I had endless wishes. And I could ask anything in his name. So I remember praying for a four-wheeler. Why wait till heaven if I could get one now? By simply praying a formula and adding the magic words in Jesus' name, Jesus would give me what I wanted. James chapter 4 speaks to that young approach that has its residue still in my flesh. Because praying to consume on our own passions, to further our own purposes, to extend our own glory, to accomplish our own purposes... Is not at all praying in Jesus' name, which is in submission to His character and His purposes and His kingdom goals and His design for us. So praying in His name cannot be matched with praying for my end. Now, I may pray for God to work in my circumstances, but I'm praying it in submission to Jesus' name. That's why we pray that way. When we're praying Intentionally though it is such, such a habit for us to say words that we often don't mean. So perhaps we consider ourselves to be God, which leaves us with no motivation to pray because we don't think we need anything. And so often that's true. And you know it's true because the first thing that happens that you know you can't control, you pray. Though you haven't prayed and I haven't prayed about that circumstance up until that point. Secondly, we may struggle to pray because we consider ourselves as servants to another master. We pray for our own ends, for our own purposes. Number three, we may struggle to pray because we consider our entrance to God to be based upon performance. So perhaps you're paralyzed in prayer because you consider God's hearing of your prayer to be based upon your performance. Why should I pray? I haven't been good enough to go to God in prayer. Brothers and sisters, remember, none of us have ever been good enough to ever be in his presence. There was never a point at which you were good enough to be in his presence. Only his son is good enough to be in his presence. And by his grace, according to his mysterious eternal plan, his son has covered us and made us sons and daughters. So we come to the Father, always through someone else's righteousness, not our own. Always foreign. Always an outside righteousness that's the basis of God hearing us. So, if you are in Christ, come to the throne of grace. Re- be reminded of First John one nine, which is written to us as God's people. If we are, if we are confessing our sin, He is faithful. To forgive our sins. To restore familial relationship with us. To be the father that we have no breach because of our sin. There is always an open door for us through Christ. Your performance is not to be the basis of whether or not you're praying. The performance of Christ is the basis which swings the door open. Which rips it off its hinges and throws the door away. It's open. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Whatever the case, I'm confident that the health of our prayer life as a church family and as individual Christians is directly connected to our awareness of our position. And secondly, our awareness of its power. So second truth that induces prayer, prayer inducing truth. Number two, prayer is powerful. It's positional. It's for us in Christ and it's powerful. James continues in verse 16, connecting now from the specific case of the person who is sick because of sin and needing the elders to come and to pray over them with the anointing for their saving, which is both their health and their sin being forgiven. God doing both of those works. We come to verse 16 and we broaden the spectrum of prayer. So we're going from the narrow circumstance of suffering, cheerful and sick. Now to broadening out the perspective. And we know that because of the word that starts verse 16. Therefore, therefore connects us back and launches us forward. Confess your sins to one another. Now we're in the broadest sense and pray for one another that you may be healed. In other words, so that we never get to the point of verses 14 and 15. Confess and pray. This is to be the habitual life of the believers gathered together so that there might be healing in every way. Healthy Christian lives lived in the church for the glory of God. And then Paul says, here's the reasoning behind these commands. The prayer of a righteous person that is the one made righteous by another who has come by faith belief in Christ and following Christ as a disciple, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Prayer is positional. The righteous person is the one praying. And prayer is powerful. Because prayer is God's means to accomplishing His ends, we can be confident that God is at work Through prayer. God already knows what we need, and yet he delights in using prayer as the means through which he accomplishes his purposes. How he does that is a mystery. What if I don't pray? Will he still accomplish his purposes? Not as he would have. And not with you receiving the blessing of knowing that in prayer, God has worked through you. You have been a part of what he's accomplishing. What a gift. I heard of several answers to prayer in the last three days from you texting me or emailing and direct answers to prayer. What a joy to pray and see God work through prayer because it is powerful as it's working. This is a truth statement. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. That statement demands belief. It's really simple. It's just whether or not we believe that statement. Do we believe our position is secure in Christ? Do we believe that there is great power through prayer as God's hand works through the prayers of his people? This powerful activity called prayer is activated in its power when utilized by righteous people coming before God in requests for one another. How much do we pray for one another? How much do we know one another so that we can engage in praying for one another? What a gift some of you are as prayer partners. You are, you are an indescribable blessing because you pray for us as one another. Excel still more. And for those of us who struggle to pray, let us consider carefully and be aware of our position, which drives us to prayer. We are, apart from our position in Christ, cut off from prayer. And let us be reminded that prayer is, in fact, the vehicle through which the power of God flows in our lives. Now, there's an illustration of this, and we'll finish with the illustration. It's probably one that We would not have guessed would be here. And we certainly wouldn't have guessed the description that James uses. So he says in verse 17, Elijah, there's your illustration. Here's your object lesson. Here's the flannel graph on the board. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. If you want to read up on this circumstance, it's 1 Kings 17 and 18. Start at verse 1 of 17 and start at verse 1 of chapter 18 and you'll see these things happen. What's fascinating here is not that this Old Testament miraculous prayer initiated miracle took place. It's not that this event happened, it's the description that's used about about Elijah. That's what's that's what's fascinating about this, because the reason James chose Elijah was not because he was the prophet. It was not because he was endowed with special power from God to be a spokesman for God to the nation of Israel and to the nations who would hear. It was not because of his special placement within the plan of God in the old covenant, where there were only prophet, priest and king as leaders in the people of God. That's none of James' concern. What's James' concern with Elijah? Elijah. What's James' connection point between Elijah in our Old Testament and us praying as church members with one another and for one another here at Grace Church? What's his connection? His connection is in the first phrase of verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So right about the time that we get done with the name Elijah, we start thinking of someone who's not like us. I mean, unless you haven't told me yet, I don't think any of you believe yourselves to be prophets. Most of you do not believe that you will do miraculous deeds and you will cause things to float that shouldn't float and strike down false prophets and call down fire from heaven. Most of you are not planning that for this week that I know of, that I know of. So when we hear the name Elijah, we think thoughts like, The Transfiguration, Matthew 17 on the mountain. We think thoughts like, wow, that's not me. We read Old Testament accounts that are hard for us to even believe. And we certainly don't think, there's a guy who's just like me. But that's exactly what James is driving home. Brothers and sisters, you and I and Elijah are the same. We are. Are the same. On what level are we the same? We, like Elijah, were born as human beings. We are devoid of power. We are devoid of a relationship to God. We are devoid of righteousness. We are sinners by birth and by choice. We are just like each other. And we serve. The same powerful God who works through prayer. Why must we be committed to dependent, expectant prayer? Because prayer is the vehicle through which the power of God flows. Elijah, though he was a prophet of God, a worker of miracles in the power of God, was a sinner saved by grace through faith. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, just like Abraham before him. And just like you or me after him. With limited information, he believed what God told him. He longed for and looked for a covering that would ultimately provide forgiveness for sin, as God had promised. He was just like us and God used The prayers of Elijah to accomplish what we could not fathom. And God works the same great power through righteous people praying in his church. The health of our church is dependent upon the health of our prayer life if we are not praying, we are not breathing out our dependence upon God. Brothers and sisters, if we do the right things devoid of the power of God, it is all for naught. If we build a house apart from the power of God, we're building in vain. The psalmist would tell us. So we... We must pray. We must recognize the power of God through prayer. We must believe God's word when he says that he works through prayer. We must believe him. We must even pray for strengthened belief so that we might pray. Because the health of our prayer life is directly connected to our awareness of our position and its power. Okay? Prayer is the constant battle. It's one of those universal topics that we don't want to talk about because we all recognize it's a struggle of our lives because we are independent, self-sustaining, self-trusting people. We must recognize our position as one of dependence and connection through Christ to the King of the universe. And we must recognize and believe That it is God's plan to work his power through prayer. So I ask you by way of conclusion will you, will we collectively and individually be committed to dependent, expectant prayer? If so, let me encourage you with a couple of thoughts seek out others for times of confession and prayer. I mean, seek out somebody else. From the body and say, can I meet with you? I'd like to talk with you. I'd like to share my life with you. I want to confess some things that are on my heart. And I want to pray together for one another. Seek out others in obedience to the call of verse 16. And establish daily reminders of position and power in prayer. That means we must come back to the gospel daily. And at times... In moments. Because when we are disconnected from our position in Christ, when we're disconnected from our place before God, when we see ourselves as our own end, or we see ourselves as sovereign of our own universe or powerful in our own circumstances, we're disconnected from truth. That's a lie, brothers and sisters. We cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot do whatever we want to do. It is not about believing in yourself. So if that is a lie, according to scripture, the truth must be brought to bear upon our thinking. That's the gospel. I am a sinner because a holy God who created me has never sinned and I have broken his law. It places me under his judgment. I'm a sinner under a holy God. I'm separated from him. I'm an enemy of his kingdom. I'm an enemy of his cause. I am apart from him in every way. And I can't. Earn my way back. Because the penalty for my sin is death. That's the wage. And so I must have a substitute. Who will live and never disobey his law. And who will die in my place. And bear his wrath that I deserve on himself. And who not only will live a life of obedience for me. And die a death of judgment for me. But who will raise from the dead so that I might have victory over death. Which is a default setting of my sinful nature. Preaching this message to ourselves daily reminds us that it is Christ. He is the only one who has lived that life. Who has died that death. Who has risen in that glorious resurrection. And in him we are brought to our knees so to speak. In prayer. So daily reminders. Of our position. And daily reminders. Of the vehicle through which God's power is seen. In the prayers of his people. This will drive us to. To an understanding. And to an awareness. And to an activity of prayer. That I trust will be to the glory. Of our great God who works through prayer. Corey Ten Boom said this. Don't. Pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man and a woman is powerful on his or her knees. Corey was the Holocaust survivor that wrote The Hiding Place. Many of you probably have read that or seen the film based upon the book. Christian lady who recognized that prayer was a non-negotiable who could see clearly her dependence in her position in Christ and could see clearly the power of God working through prayer. So we should probably pray to finish this time of studying God's word and ask him to use his word to shape and mold us. Father, thank you for your truth. I cannot possibly know the circumstances that are represented in this room. And you have not called me as a shepherd And as a communicator of your truth, to know how to apply or to apply your truth to the lives of those that are under its its authority this morning. This is beyond my capacity or my task. So I come to you recognizing my position before you and independence, knowing your power through prayer. I ask that you would use your word to change your people. And to use the good news, the message of your Son, to crush the proud and blinded hearts of those that are still your enemies, who are rejecting Christ. You alone can do this work. And oh, how we want to be a part of what you're doing. How much we long to receive the blessings of knowing you're at work in us and through us for the glory of your name here in these broken jars of clay. There's a treasure so that all the power and all the glory is yours. in all that's done. Continue to break us. Continue to crush us. Continue to drive us back to our position under you and close to you through another's righteousness and remind us. Frequently we pray, even this week, of the power of your hand at work through prayer. May we be comforted by our likeness to Elijah. So then in being reminded of the work that you did in withholding rain and bringing rain based solely upon and through his prayer life with you, we might be encouraged and motivated that there is real power for real people just like us. Who have been made righteous before you. Father make us a praying church family. Help us on the patio. And before services. When we hear of concerns. To pray for one another. To stop right in our tracks. And to pray for each other. To ask how to pray. To confess sin and pray. To be praying people. Because of our position and the power. At work through prayer. All of this we ask. Not for our glory and our ends, but for yours. So we pray it in submission. We pray it as Jesus prayed in the garden, not our will be done, but yours. O Father. It is our gift from you and our delight to talk to you as our father. Praying to you in the name of your son and with the aid and intercession of your spirit, we ask these things in your name.